State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Don McCool, Vice President of Sales Engineering at Intuitive Digital about digital accessibility. Their latest product, TrueAbilities, facilitates accessibility widgets and solutions between website owners and the visitors who need support in accessing content. Let's begin. Hi, Don. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you, Vahe? I'm good, thanks. Appreciate you joining and I'm glad to hear you're well now as well. Don, we haven't had this topic before and I think, you know, Andrew, I'm let you contact us, you to join and, and I think it's a good topic to talk about given that, that, that a lot of things are happening. We're going to be talking about web accessibility and one of the new products that you guys have launched through abilities. But before we go into that, Don, I'd like you to just uh, provide our audience a bit of background about yourself and more towards the path of how you came about with true abilities in the first place. Excellent. Well, I've been in technology for the last 15 years, mostly software as a service applications, but now also touching on uh, infrastructure as a service and same with uh, platform as a service. The accessibility side is an add-on that we put into web development here because we found that, yes, you can set up a website and make it more accessible for people and do the remediation on videos and uh, PDFs, etc. However, the overlay itself in conjunction with a well-designed website provides a quick and easy way for people with disabilities to access the website and to use the uh, profiles that they need to make it the viewing easier for them. When did you come out with the product? With True Abilities? True Abilities has been out for a few years now. I started working with it last year. So I've been doing it for about a year now, a little bit over a year, actually. And the software itself or the overlay has made quite a few gains in, in that time. We've added things like cookie management platforms, privacy forms for CCPA and GDPR requirements. The, the software itself isn't just touching on accessibility anymore, but that's where its roots are at. I know you said that there wasn't product, product proper out there, but what was the the light bulb moment for the company saying that, okay, we need to start to build this. This moment definitely came with all of the lawsuits that have been filed over accessibility. We're seeing major companies like Domino's that are being sued and actually losing and having the um, US Supreme Court push it back down and say, we're not going to listen to this. So we're going to stick with the ruling that was the circuit level. And we're seeing things like uh, Beyonce getting sued for her website not being accessible. Those types of lawsuits are adding up where five years ago, you saw maybe 500 a year. We're up over 4,000 for 2020. And I'm thinking 2021 is, is going to be even worse. Well, that's pretty significant. Do you think it's just sensitive of the site owners and lack of awareness? I think a lot of it is lack of awareness. O over the past few years, we're, we're starting to see this shift in companies to creating uh, diversity and inclusion departments within their organizations. And so now they're sort of taking control of this whole digital accessibility for everybody, not just people with um, disabilities. And as I, I think as we see that shift, that it'll move more to the forefront. Right now, what you see with a lot of organizations is that there's several departments that are in charge of making sure that the website is accessible for their consumers. And when you have sort of that disparity at the companies where one person isn't in charge of making the decision, it's very difficult to get them to move forward with either an overlay or um, somewhat of a website overhaul. I know that your company works across multiple industries and, you know, we've connected through the publishing space for publishers out there. Like what's been the key considerations for them to realize that they have to probably review their 
site accessibility? Well, demand letters are increasing along with the amount of lawsuits that have been filed. So we're seeing a little bit about the, the pressure coming from that area also. The movements in the states now have all been about inclusion and diversity. And so we're not we're expanding it from just the um, Black Lives Matter movement into other areas of social consciousness. And so with this inclusivity and I move towards inclusivity and diversity, we're seeing people pay more attention to how their website is affecting the consumers that they're dealing with. Right now, you're seeing about, oh, about 40% of companies have some sort of accessibility program in place, but it's young. It's anywhere from one year to three years old. We still have about 15% of companies that when they're asked about accessibility, they're either not working towards it at all, or they just don't know what their company is doing. But then we still have, what, about 30, 40, about 50% of companies that have some sort of accessibility program in place. However, the bad part about that is there's a lot of those companies that are using an outside organization, and they think that that organization is handling it for them, but it, they may not necessarily be doing everything they can for accessibility. Google has put out in their developer tools a program called Lighthouse, and it's also usable on Firefox and Microsoft Edge. And so when I'm doing a review of a website to see how well they're doing, I use all three browsers. I use the Lighthouse tool. And at the very least, I can get a sense of the automated score. And if it's really low, that's a really good place to start talking about accessibility because now you're showing them, hey, listen, this isn't something we created. This isn't our grading system. These are standard developer tools that anybody can use and your site scoring low. And this doesn't even include the manual portion because even though it gives you a, a score on all the automated testing that it can do, there's still about oh, 12 or 15 things that have to be done manually because the computer just can't check for it. I think that's a really good point that you brought up. There's been a big emphasis from Google as well about improving page experience, but that's been a big push in the past couple of months as well. Particularly in the past couple of months, have you seen qualitatively any improvement on online accessibility with Google's push in the web vitals and page experience? For the past year, yes, I have seen it. And Google is making more of an effort to say, hey, listen, if your site's not accessible, that's actually going to reduce your SEO ranking. Yeah, agreed. And it's more of like relative, if more sites do it, then the ones that don't do it actually get left behind. You know, we've spoken about you need to have this online accessibility for people who haven't seen the product, can you uh, describe a little bit in terms of how it's used on the website, what it looks like, and as well, what they have to do to make the most out of the tool? So the overlay or the widget itself is actually just a small icon that can be put in different spots on the site itself. So it can be in the middle on the right on the left, down in the bottom center, bottom right, bottom left, and it's fully customizable, meaning they can use their own color scheme behind it. And what I like about ours in particular is the fact that it, it is customizable to their brand within the widget or the overlay also. So when somebody does come to their site and they open up that application, they'll be able to see the site owner's branding inside the overlay. And then inside of there, you have the accessibility profiles, which are preset profiles for people that are in, in danger of having seizures, people that have a, a vision impairment of some sort, maybe people with an intellectual disability of some sort that helps them focus. It's very helpful for people with um, ADD or ADHD so that they can focus on the pieces of the website that they want to see without the flashing lights and the, and the display banner ads um, affecting their concentration. And then within the accessibility portion, you can increase the spacing between the text. You can increase the size of the text. You can increase the size of the cursor. You can change the color scheme on the 
the website and the background color scheme. And then also you can navigate to the header structure, which makes it easier for somebody with a disability of some sort or somebody who's blind to just tab through the header structure to get to the particular header that they want. That's great. Um, I can see like a lot of other sites will just have like either a prompt or somewhere like, but there's so many options that you can choose from. Is it that person that has a specific disability or, or challenge with re- reading something that they'll know which option to choose or are there best practices that people can follow when looking to a better experience on the page? People with certain disabilities, when they open up the overlay, they'll see the one that applies to them. And what we've tried to do is set it up with these accessibility profiles in a way that covers the protected classes from the Americans with Disabilities Act. So there's a lot of protected classes in there. Some of the protected classes don't have anything to do with whether or not they can view a web page. It may be missing limbs or something along those lines, but people that, that are blind people that have some sort of seizure disorder, those people will be able to find a profile that fits their particular needs. That predefines some of the things, otherwise you can customize it. So then I think that makes sense and that's pretty clear. But one thing I would like to point out is the overlay is helpful, but it's not an all-encompassing solution, okay? Because the overlay can't do perform remediation services for PDF documents or closed captioning for videos that are on the website. That's where the web development portion becomes very important. And so what we tell people is, yes, you can use our overlay, but this doesn't really reduce your risk of receiving a demand letter or a lawsuit because our overlay, any overlay can only do so much. So what we're really focusing on is additional web development time to help them raise that lighthouse score from the 60s or 70s up above 90 or 95, and then perform all the remediation services. And we have some specialized software that also helps with remediation on PDFs and videos, et cetera. What's some of the steps that companies need to take to add that additional time to consideration? Is it just considering all those profiles that you mentioned and just making sure that the site retrofits that with the widget or like what would be like the practical steps people need to take? The way we've been doing it so far is when we get somebody on a Zoom meeting or or a Google Meet, we're talking to them not only about their Lighthouse score, but we're showing them the results of their audit on Lighthouse plus the audit that we run for them beforehand. So we're showing them the specific areas that need to be upgraded or improved. And then what we say is, listen, if you have programmers in-house or you have developers on retainer, find out what it's going to cost to get them to fix these issues and to start prioritizing accessibility as part part of their development process. If you don't have the staff or or the time or it's too cost prohibitive, we might be able to step in and help you out. We come in, we help with the code, we get that score up, and then we provide the software services that I discussed earlier to help with remediation on additional items on the website. So let's talk a little bit about some of the state of play at the moment as well. So like you mentioned about some of the GDP, like the privacy laws. Is there anything that particularly in the US people should anticipate? You know, there's been the recent, like the past two, one or two years, the, the one for California that's rolled out. Is there any other ones that have to be considered? There's actually Massachusetts has put one forward. And then there's about 16 other states that have some sort of legislation pending. However, all of that's been sort of put on the back burner due to COVID. So they're a little busy right now. But um, I think as more people get vaccinated and and hopefully eventually this pandemic will subside and not rear its ugly head again, I, I think we'll see more of these states start to move forward on those types of privacy acts. And our overlay does include the request form for a consumer. And so what we'll do on that side is the consumer puts in the request, we verify that they're actually who they say they are. And then we pass that information on to the website owner so that they can either provide the consumer information 
version or they can delete it completely. That makes sense. You said that there's like 16 other states that were going to change the legislation. How are you guys be able to manage that through your widget and, and platform? Going to have to see what they produce. So as, as each state uh, creates their finalized legislation, we'll have to go through it with a, a fine tooth comb and make sure that our privacy form is applicable to everybody, or we're going to have to have several privacy forms depending on, on how they roll out. Well, I hope it's not as varied as it sounds like it might be. Um, otherwise, it would be very challenging for everyone to adopt that as well. It would be very tough if they all did something different. But w- with California leading the way, I, th- I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, for lack of a better word, copycat states where they're just going to follow California's example. It, it may not be as restrictive, but I-, I think it'll be very similar as to what consumers can request. Why wouldn't this then be applied on a federal level if there's a lot of copycats? Is it just because of how the government system works there that there has to be both levels of laws that applies? Uh, Eventually, I think we'll get to that point when you see these other 15, 16, 17 states start to put forth legislation. If they all become too disparate, then I think we'll see the federal government step in and create a comprehensive law for everybody. And of course, states will be able to further limit it or provide additional rules, but there will be a basis that every state will have to follow. Let's look at sort of new business or pivots that's been happening as well and how that impacts online experiences. So, you know, there's been a lot of online events or there's been a lot of streaming or a lot of other new business models that are coming out as a result of our COVID and everything else. How do you see those new business models applying online accessibility and what do you think, how do you think that rating in terms of their products and overall web accessibility for people? Well, I think with all of this remote work that we're doing, I think it's also pointed out the shortcomings for people with disabilities and people are seeing it more than they ever did before. And I think that might be one of the reasons you're seeing people move towards a diversity and inclusion department within their organizations, because there's, they're seeing the challenges that people with disabilities are facing. However, if we don't keep moving in that direction and we end up doing more and more stuff on a remote basis, I think you're going to see people with disabilities become marginalized at some point. And that is completely against what all of these social movements have been about. We're trying to get more people involved. And what's important to businesses, obviously, is revenue. People with disabilities represent a $500 billion per year amount of money that can be spent on goods and services. Why wouldn't you take the time to make sure that your website is accessible for them? It has to be all inclusive. I 100% agree with you. There's nothing more to say on that, I think. Let's look at a case study. I'd love to pivot a little bit on on our conversation. What would you say is one case study that you and the team are are proud of, like seeing a dramatic improvement and and how that's impacted, particularly a publishing business? is bottom line or, or, you know, outcomes that they're trying to achieve. I live here in Las Vegas, okay? And obviously, casinos are very important to our economy. Yeah. One of the uh, locally owned but very large casinos um, not only has our overlay installed, but we're working with them to make all of their websites more inclusive. Some of them scored fairly low on the Lighthouse scores. And when I did my own manual audits um, using the screen reader and, and things of that nature, they just simply weren't accessible. There was too many traps, too many times the selection was getting stuck. And so now we're working with them. And over the last three months, their main website that everybody comes to first before they're redirected to another website within the organization is 10 times more accessible than it was beforehand. Now, anybody with any disability can at least navigate through the entire main landing pages without any issues. And slowly but surely, we'll get the rest of them up and running at that same efficiency. 
Do you know if there's any other better performance besides the Lighthouse? Um, like, has it impacted their SEO? Have you seen it? Have they given any feedback on any other? We haven't done the feedback yet on that, but we've only been doing this for, like I said, the last three months. And yeah. so they're involved in creating a case study with us. So that way, but I want to have at least 12 months worth of data. I want to see if it really made a difference, especially on the on the top line revenue. I think that's important to note. So I guess people who are looking to comprehensively incorporate this, it's something that has to be reported back within 12 months. Sometimes people might expect that you automatically implement it and you see automatic changes. I guess you're saying that's more of a long-term Definitely be more of a long-term thing because let's say, for example, you were blind and you went to their website in the past and you found that it didn't work. Well, it, it's going to take time for those people to come back to the website to try it again. That's true. You have to rebuild their trust. You have to get the relationship back again and yeah, hopefully they can come back and commit again. So, you know, I, I get that, that absolutely makes sense. There's just one point about some of the state of play that's happening as well that I want to touch upon. You know, the role of AI, like automating a lot of the stuff that we typically do, like it might be rewriting old text or it might be specific file names of PDFs, like you said, or anything else like that. Like, have you experienced anything that has actually hindered the role of improving online accessibility with AI or still early days to say? It, it's still early days, but we use AI to help with it. And I haven't seen anything holding us back. In fact, I, I think AI is actually making us work faster. Obviously, anytime you're using AI or machine learning or anything of that nature, it, it takes time to build it correctly. And so even though we're using it, we sometimes have to do our own edits and sort of help it out, I guess, is the best way to put it. But as time progresses, I think you'll see it just get better and better and the remediation will be done more quickly. I'd love to see it get to a point where AI is perfect and can perfectly remediate videos and, and PDFs just by processing them through the software. Learning progress, working progress. No, that, that sounds good. Don, just with the company, what's some of the plans that you have in, in the pipeline for 2020 and beyond? As far as true abilities goes, we're yep. increasing the amount of services that we offer in, in addition to it. So one of our next steps is adding in what, what is a health meter. I told you before that we have a cookie management platform on there. Yep. So our health meter will tell you how many visitors came to the site, how many accepted all the cookies, how many rejected just marketing and advertising, and how many people rejected all of the cookies. And so we'll be able to use that information to provide targeted marketing to the people that accepted all the cookies. But then we'll be able to do provide some marketing efforts in relation to the people that rejected the marketing and advertising cookies. Cookies are still a foreseeable problem that has to be resolved. And what about once cookies go away? Is there anything in the pipeline to manage? Well, remember, it's only going to be third-party cookies that go okay. away. First-party sure. cookies are still going to exist. Yep. And so I'm, I'm waiting to see how that all shakes out in the future. But right now, what we can do is make sure that we're collecting as much data as we can and being able to relay that back to our customers. So not only are you getting an accessibility overlay, you're getting a cookie management platform, you're getting a privacy request form inside of it. And then in addition to that, you get metrics on the people that are coming to your site. Great. I look forward to hearing more updates from you, Andrew, and the team um, on, on that as well. And definitely for publishers as well, that would be awesome to hear. Don, I guess just to close off our conversation a little bit, I just want to ask you a bit more about your career and some advice you can give to other people who are looking to be entrepreneurial like you and um, the team. What's some advice you can give and what's some of the main things that you've learned, particularly in the past year of focusing on this product? 
like everything in life, you're only going to be good at it if you really care about it and you're passionate about it, right? Yeah. You you have to do the things that that really get you up in the morning and make you want to to get out of bed and 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 get ready and and to go to work. That's how I feel about the accessibility. I, I didn't even realize that this was such a desperate problem. And then the more research I do, the more people I work with, I just can't help myself. I have to get up and I have to get something fixed on on a daily basis. Be passionate about what you're doing. If you're not passionate about it, find something else. And how do you translate that across your team? Well, I'm fortunate. Everybody on my team feels the same way. And it's you're doing something that not only complies with all the current legislation out there, but you're actually doing something that helps people. Not everybody can say they go to work and get to help people and make a positive difference in others' lives. Absolutely. And I think with that, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Vahe. I really appreciate your time also. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.